If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Our guest today is Carolyn Colby. Carolyn's been a previous guest on Horse Chats number 056, as well as talking about her favourite horses, people who've influenced her, favourite quote. She's also talked about leadership skills for running major events. How are you today, Carolyn? Very well, Glennis. How are you? Oh, very well. Very well. Now, Carolyn, today we're going to talk about 10 questions to ask before you purchase a horse. It's quite a bit different to your last interview, but I think with someone with your knowledge and you've been in the industry a long time, I'm sure we could just keep going on for ages about 10 questions for this and 10 questions for that. The 10 questions to purchase a horse, it's a big one because even if you're a complete beginner, you've still got the same questions or whether you're already a Grand Prix rider, you're still going to be looking for another horse. Can we start off with you talking about the wish list? Yep. I always say to people, if you're going to buy a horse, decide what you actually want. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go, oh, but, and I go, no, no, don't worry about anything. Just decide what, what you actually want. Yep. Um, because people have very fuzzy ideas about, I want to buy a horse, but they don't actually think about specifically which sort of horse they want to buy. So my wish, I always say, you know, in an ideal scenario, what would you like to buy? And then other things are going to affect how that wish list gets modified. Okay. Okay. We've got the wish list and then the budget. You know, how do we decide on the budget or what sort of questions should we ask? Because it's not about just buying the horse, is it? It's looking after the horse. Well, basically, um, I think the budget's the most important thing. And always people ring me and they want to buy horses or they're looking for horses. And I always say, and what is your budget? Because, you know, I hear of many different horses and some are going to be fit their price and some aren't. Mm -hmm. So it really doesn't matter whether you've got $500, $5,000 or $50,000. It's got to be a figure that you're comfortable with and that you can afford. And then we worry about going and looking for the horses that fit into that budget bracket. The budget's got to include the fact that, okay, if you buy a very cheap horse, you might go, I'm not terribly worried about getting it vetted or it's close so I don't have to worry about transport costs and things like that. You go looking at a more expensive horse, you're certainly going to be deciding you wouldn't like to have it probably very well vetted. Um, Depending on how you're financing it, you would also need to factor in the fact that you would want to possibly insure it. You're going to have to transport it to your, you know, to where you are if it's interstate. Um, and you've also got to be prepared if it's interstate that you're going to have to go and get on a plane and go and see it and things like that, and that might entail two trips mm-hmm. because, in my opinion, when you get a horse fitted, you should also be there. So, um, And I do know people who have a certain amount of money to spend and go, oh, but I'm not going to go, I want to, I'll see the horse in the video, I'm not going to go and look at it and things like that. And to me, that's really very stupid. Yep. <laughs> I yep, couldn't yep. imagine buying a horse off a video personally. Okay, okay. Yeah. A video can sort of sort out, if, is the horse going to be suitable or not before you go and have a look? So it's good to have a video if the horse is some distance away and then you can make up your mind. Whether it can, you, whether be, it or not can be of assistance. Okay. But 
you know, well, a well-produced video, the horse can look very good. You can have a very amateur video that might actually show you the right things that you need to see about the horse. But, okay. yeah, I'm as I said, I'm... I'm not necessarily a super fan of videos, I suppose, because I've been on the selling end and there are people in the country who make their hobby of, you know, getting every video they can find of horses that are for sale too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, okay. Which, Mm. you know, if you're sending out videos, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nowadays with YouTube it's quite easy, but once upon a time we used to have to physically send them videos, so that was a bit of a pain, don't you? Yes, yes, yes. So now we've got our wish list and our budget. Yep. What should we start looking? You know, like we're not going to get the exact wish list in the ads that we're looking at. So the next thing we've got, the 10 questions, is what are you looking for? Well, basically, this is this comes to where, you know, if you're a housewife who rides three days a week and needs a safe, reliable horse, your mm-hmm. wish list is, you know, what you want is going yes. to be very different to someone who's young, fit, has aspirations to going and going to a very high level. However, similarly, you can say, oh, I want to have a horse that will take me to Grand Prix, you know, and I'm a grade four adult rider. Well, no, you don't need a horse that's going to take you to Grand Prix. You need the horse that's going to help you to progress quite a lot further. And if you're very lucky, the horse you buy might take you to Grand Prix, but it's not an essential to be looking at that type of horse at that point in your career. Okay, okay. All right, well, that brings us on to the next one about is this horse actually suitable for you? Yeah, and that's, you know, if you're going to buy a young horse, do you have time for it? Um, Like I have bought and have helped clients to buy um, weanling, foals, yearlings, um, up to broken-in horses and going horses. But, you know, you've got to factor in, you know, what amount of time you've got – If you're going to have a young horse, it's going to scare you at some point. Um, It'll jump around. It'll do things. I mean, people say to me, oh, I've just bought this three-year-old and it's really quiet. Well, there aren't very many three-year-olds that aren't really quiet because usually they're really weak and they're still a bit shell-shocked in the change in their circumstances. And somewhere between four and five, they become teenagers and have a few really happy days and the rider goes, oh, my God, my quiet horse has turned into a monster. But it hasn't. It's just a normal part of horses' development. So if you're, as I said, if your circumstances are such that you're not going to be safe on that sort of horse, well, I I would be saying, no, don't get one. Don't get that sort of horse. Get something that's got some miles on the clock and then you can go, oh, okay, I'm I'm going to be safe. Okay, okay. And as you said before, you look at your wish list, but then you say, is this horse actually suitable for you? I mean, my Mm. thing about... The funny thing about having a wish list is or a a very clear idea about what you want is that you actually usually find what you want really easily if you know what it is that you're looking for. Okay. There are people who tell you, I've spent two years and I can't find a horse. Mm. Well, I've bought quite a lot of horses in my time and some of them are very good horses that I still have and... I quite often looked at one or two horses because I knew what I was looking for. I knew roughly where I needed to look to find it. And I went and I went, yep, that's the horse I want to buy. And I bought it. Okay. You know, so, and I have seen the opposite where, as I said, people go all over the country and they look and look and look and they can't find a horse. And sometimes, you know, they're unlucky because they do find the horse, but it's not sound. But normally it's, I don't think they actually even have really decided clearly in their own mind what they want to buy. Okay. Okay. All right. So we've got our wish list. We've worked out our budget. We've 
found what we're looking for. We, you know, we think that the horse might be okay. Yep. You've got the next one when you look at or try the horse. So what do you look at? You know, we've talked about the videos and we've said, well, go and actually have a look at the horse. Yep. What sort of things are we looking at? Because you see a horse once and, you know, sometimes yeah. you, you forget. Should there be a checklist or something to look at things to look at when you first go? What sort of things are we looking at? I like to see horses in their natural state when you go to buy them. And by that, I mean, if it's in a stable, it's loose in the stable. Or if it's in a paddock, it's loose in the paddock. And you can go you go, and the owner or the seller goes and catches the horse and packs it up in front of you and all those sorts of things. Um, Europeans tend to produce the horses already done up and clean and shiny and bandaged and saddled up and the client arrives and there's the horse. But... Um, and I've been unpopular because I've made them unbandage and unsaddle it because I actually want to see it before I even think about riding it. It may not sort of fit what I'm looking for yep. or what the client's looking for before it's ridden. So, you know, there's no need to go any further with the, the exercise. Mm-hmm. And their attitude towards being caught and towards picking up their feet and being tacked up and, and how they behave while those things are being done is important. I mean... If you find that you're not going to be able to cope with something that's a stress head while it's tied up and being packed up, well, it's important for you to see it at that point and go, well, actually, sorry, this horse isn't quite what I was looking for. Mm. And Mm. and being able to say, sorry, this isn't quite what I'm looking for is very important. You don't have to go, oh, it's an awful horse, I don't want to touch it. It's not quite what you want. You can be Mm. quite polite about it and say... And people, people usually appreciate you going... Sorry, I'm. You know, we're not going any further, and I won't waste your time, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, the fact yeah. they've wasted your time and you've driven five hours to their horse <laughs> with a bow tendon when you wanted an international three-day horse is yeah. yes, <laughs> irrelevant. Yes. But you know, you've still got to be polite. Yeah, yeah. So basically, you would look at it and think, what well, you know, yeah. First impressions. Um, you know, have a look at its confirmation. Has it got decent feet? Has it got straight legs? Does it appeal to you? If you don't like horses with plain heads and it's going to bug you having a plain head, well, again, it's not going to be suitable. Um, similarly, you don't fall in love with a chestnut with a beautiful face and four stockings and all the rest of it. And I've actually got a few of those, but anyway. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, you've got to, you've got to sort of... Um, and sometimes if you look at, depending on what you're paying, yep. you're going to be looking, if you're looking at the low end of the market, it might be scruffy, it might not be in a good coat, it might be various things. If you're spending lots of money, um, you would probably expect to see it in all its glossy glory and, you know, um, all those sorts of things. So there's a lot of, you know, variation in what you would expect when you're looking at them. But basically, within your knowledge, you'd want to go, this horse looks like it's going to do the job I want it for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously you'd get a vet to pull it apart and check its eyes and its heart and the things you can't see. But you need to be able to look at it and go, yep, that I think I could live with this horse in my stable or my paddock. Okay, okay. And riding the horse, anything in particular? I mean, obviously it's going yep. to depend on the person, but, you know, anything you'd like to expand on there? Yeah. First thing is if it's a riding horse, I would want to see it ridden yep. by the people. Yes. Again, in the lower end of the market, you might turn up and they go, oh, no, no, I can't ride it. You'll have to ride it. Well, that's a, that's basically a bit of a warning one. Yep. Um, I have ridden horses that I've, you know, and bought horses that I haven't seen anyone ride and I've gone with clients and we've done the, you know, catch it, lunge it, hop on it and sort of off we went and went, oh, yeah, it's okay or it didn't kill us or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I would never, I always say to my clients, you make sure you see it ridden. And when they ride the horse, 
I would say, you know, actually test it. Don't try not to sit there on eggshells and being careful. You want to find out if you yank the stirrup around when you get on and you stick a toe in its ribs and you thump on its back and, you know, you touch it with the whip or you do something, what does it do? You know, it's it's a lot safer to do that and find out then rather than, again, you get at home and go, oh, it's far too sensitive and I can't cope with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, a trial has, you know, a test ride has to be a bit of a test ride. Yes. And make them do, you know, tr- make transitions, trot and walk and trot and halt and see if it does things that you know that it's never had to do. I mean, I've sat on fairly green young horses and gone, oh, and I'll ask them to step backwards and things like that. And the owners go, oh, I've never done a rain back. And I go, I know that. And I'm not fussed about that. But I want to know what its attitude is towards doing something that it doesn't know about. Mm. Um, mm. The things that it actually can do is, should be fairly straightforward. But, you know, sometimes when you put the horse to a spot and it goes, oh, I don't think so. And you go, oh, well. And it won't necessarily disqualify them from you purchasing them, but you would have to take that into account and go, is that, you know, how drastic is that problem going to be? Yep and go from there. Okay, okay. Now, what about we've already had a budget, we've worked out our budget, but, you know, what would make you compromise on a price that you've already set a budget for? Uh, Usually my compromises would be downwards. Mm -hmm. And I say to clients too, depending on what their budget is, this means you're going to have to drive further to go and look at the horse if you've got a lower budget, or it may have scars on it, or it may be a little bit older. It may have more problematic or soundness. Um, they're all things where you would your budget gives you the idea about what you're going to compromise on rather than actually the price. I mean, to me, if you've got a certain figure in mind, you need to stick to it because it's very easy to go and go, oh, well, there's no horses around in that price, but there is. It's just you haven't yet seen it. Yep. Don't be conned into the idea that you have to go and buy a more expensive one. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit of a problem because sellers tend to have their own idea about what a horse is worth and you'll look at advertisements for horses and, you know, they've got telephone numbers on them. 12 months later, the same horse is still for sale and probably for less money and it may be that it's for sale still because it was um, not sound or it's a problem horse anyway or it can be because they've just priced it out of the market of the place where it should be. Okay. And so it might be a very genuine safe amateurs horse but it's priced as you know halfway to being an international representative Mm. and so I mean to me if I have five thousand dollars to spend I'm not going and looking at the twenty thousand dollar horses even if they're actually only worth eight or nine thousand dollars yep so you know it's where it's important as a seller not to um cause it you know stop the people who would actually be relevant to buying your horse being able to buy it because Mm -hmm. you know most people aren't so rude that they would come and try the $20,000 horse and say, but I've only got $5,000 to spend. And, you know, it doesn't happen like that usually. What sort of things or what sort of, you know, even if you give us a bit of a story or a case study where someone may compromise on price, you know, say if they've got a bigger price on the horse, but they do come down for a particular reason, what sort of reason would that be? Uh, It usually is relevant to soundness. Mm Mm-hmm. Most of the horses I know where there's been a downward compromise, it's been on soundness. Yep. And the issue about the soundness is, well, I shouldn't say even say soundness, suit- suitability on a vet check, because that's what the actual check's about, is the suitability of the horse for the purpose. And if you get extensive x-rays and the horse is 12 or 14 or whatever, there's going to be sundry cha- bony changes, arthritis, 
chips, spurs, you name it. And you would you could be quite prepared to compromise on some of those if you know what the horse's history is. If it's got a proven history of being in work for the last 10 years, not that it's been in the paddock for two years because it's been unsound and they've dragged it in and, you know, they're getting it ready for sale. Um, so if it's a horse with, um, for the want of a better word, wear and tear on it and yep. it's... Um, it's been in work and you can speak to the the clients vet, and you can speak to their, you know, you've seen the horse at competitions, you know that it's been in work or you you have friends who know the horse. Then you would certainly, I would say always, you could be quite prepared to compromise. And I know people that have done that and they've had an absolute ball with, you know, horses that have been around for quite a long time and haven't sold and, you know, someone's taken them and looked after them properly and, you know, it's been a very, very much of a win-win. Mm-hmm. I also know people who've gone and bought what they thought was a very nice, very sound horse and had all sorts of angst over trying to get their money back and all sorts of things because the horse she wasn't really sound. But the issue can be with the suitabilities is that you need what I call a vet who's a horseman who looks at the horse and the x-rays and goes, yep, this horse has got that, but I can't see why that is going to be a problem for what you want to do in the next two years, three years, five years. I mean, obviously, they can't say it's going to be sound in 10 years' time either. Um, and with some of those horses, you'll take a risk and go, yep, this is fine, and sometimes you'll take the risk and it's not. Yep. Yeah, well, that was the next one about the vetting, you know, to organise that, yeah. Yeah, and certainly with the vetting, I say to clients, make sure you're there or you have an agent there. Do not get a horse vet checked and you're not there because the vet likes to be able to discuss with you what is actually um, they see, you know, Mm -hmm. and fine, if I send my vet somewhere and I'm not there and the vet knows what I like and I speak to them and that's, you know, but as a rule... It's important for you to be there. It's important to see how the horse behaves when it's being vetted. It's important to see, you know, they'll say, oh, there's the, you know, this this has come up or this horse is asymmetrical for some reason, but, you know, with the right work or with what you're going to do or for what you want to do, that's not going to be a problem. Okay. And I also have seen occasionally people not be there when the horse is vetted and the horse needs two vet checks to pass and the people don't know about the first one. <laughs> okay. Okay, yep, yep. So, you know, as I said, in my opinion, you need to be there or you need to organise the vet and have spoken to the vet pretty extensively. And I have known people say, oh, I'll get the horse vetted before I come to look at it. And a vet that I had dealings with, she actually said she wouldn't let the clients do that. She said to them, no, you come and see the horse first and decide whether you like it and then I'll do a vet check because... Her view was there was no point her vetting the horse. They hadn't even seen it. So how the hell can she discuss it with them? Yes, and know know what they're going to use it for. Yeah, yeah, Mm, yeah. mm, mm. At least come and ride it and see whether you like the horse and then you can worry about going to the next degree, which is vetting it. Yeah, yeah, okay. The other thing is too that people selling horses are going to make certain claims about the horse, what it's done, what should be the breeding, anything at all. How well should you investigate those claims? As thoroughly as you can. Mm-hmm. Again, I send my clients off to look at horses, and, I, and now I say, please find out what her, the name of her instructor is, what the or his instructor, what who owns the horse. Find out everything you can, because they'll tend to say, oh, it belongs to Betty. Betty who? Oh, I didn't ask. Oh, and who do they have lessons from? Oh, some girl over from. And I, did you ask? No. And I said, well, you can't. 
We can't follow up information when you don't even have it in the first yeah, place. Exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and if it's registered, whereas, you know, I would like to see its papers, you yes. know, things like that. I mean, there are claims made that it's this sort of horse or that sort of horse or it's by De Niro. Well, it's by a son of De Niro. It's not by De Niro at all, mm-hmm. um, which is quite a different story. So, you know, it's important to just go, I've got to ask questions. And if people yep. don't want to answer the questions, well, that's fine. You don't have to go and look at the horse. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> now, say everything is great. You know, we've done a wish list. We've worked out a budget. We've figured out what we're looking for. We've decided that the horse is actually suitable for what we want. We've tried the horse. We've looked well about it, as they say. Horse looks good. They've worked out the price. The vet checks okay, the vet's happy with the horse for what we're going to use it for, the claims have been okay. What do we do now that we've purchased the horse? What else can we do or should we do? Basically, try and make sure when you first have the horse that you both end up with good experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and try and keep the horse in a similar way to that to which it's been accustomed there. As in, if you buy a horse that's used to being stabled in, in a sand yard, for example, don't suddenly put it out in a 20-acre paddock and wonder why it goes berserk and runs through fences or somersaults over gates. Um, make sure that you, you know, depending on if it's local, that's easy. You go and collect the horse and bring it home and the next day you can ride it and, or do whatever you are planning to do with it. Um, if it's come from interstate, you've got to make sure that, you know, it's travelled okay and that you would take it quietly for a couple of days because travel sickness does happen and you want to make, you would want to make sure the horse is going to be okay. I mean, you would take its temperature probably when it comes and monitor it for a couple of days, make sure it's eating and drinking okay. Um, but basically, and Sometimes people say, oh, I won't have a lesson yet. I want to get used to the horse. And I go, no, the best way to get used to the horse is let's have a lesson and look and see what you're going to need to do, you know, to make sure that the story with you and the horse is a has a good outcome. Yep. And, I mean, some people are very lucky. They buy a horse, they get on with it straight away, and, you know, it's a piece of cake. Sometimes with other people, it's, it's a more problematical thing and it's important for them to have – for the buyer to have the right backup so that they end up with the right outcome. I mean, if the horse is going to need lunging for a few, you know, before they ride it or, you know, needs to not have too many extra days off or doesn't need too many happy things in its feed, um, they need to sort of realise and, and be aware of that. I mean, I've seen both scenarios in that some people get the horse home and starve it, literally, and other people get it home and pump it with feed and, you know, neither of them is very ideal. Yep. Okay, so say, what happens if you get it home and you realise that you've really been a bit quick and you probably shouldn't have bought the horse and it's not going to be suitable for you? What's the best thing to do there? Because, you know, I'm sure even if you've gone through everything, you've taken all the steps, you've gone through everything, um, you know, there's going to be a time where, and maybe you thought you were going to be riding the horse every day and getting back into it and then found out that, you know, you can only ride on the weekend. And it depends. I mean, it's the sort of thing that you would also probably discuss with the person that's selling the horse. Mm -hmm. If you're buying from a stud or something like that, it's in their interest to make sure that the horses go to people who actually have a good outcome with their horse. Um, I suppose one thing I didn't say when we were talking about budget was, to me, I look at horses and, and a figure comes into my head and, that's like the get out figure or whatever. Um, like when you look at a horse 
and, you, and you've got to think, if I don't like that horse in two weeks, am I going to get my money back or am I going to lose heavily on it? And yeah. if you're going to lose heavily on it, you're paying too much for it in the first place. Mm-hmm. So depending on why you don't like the horse, I mean, you go out and the horse is lame, the first thing you're going to have to do is get the vet quick smart and get a history on why it's lame. You know, it may be that it's got a foot abscess. That does happen. It may not be anything more sinister than that or it's knocked its leg and bumped up a splint or something. But you'd certainly you want to know why. I mean, even in this day and age, strange things still happen about what medication horses are on and prior to a sale and things like that. And then you would want to speak to the vendor because if you've got the horse home and it suddenly turn into a monster, you know, speak to them and, you know, find out what their feelings are about it and whether they're going to be prepared to maybe take the horse back and you get your money back. That's a very straightforward scenario if you could do that. Um, if that's not the going to be the case and there is genuine behavioural issues or soundness issues, it's sort of like you better start and quickly find a good lawyer type scenarios. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's a problem. To me, if you've done your homework beforehand, and that will include asking around, find other people who've bought horses from the same people, find out what their experiences were um, so that you don't run into the one where you go, this horse is a bloody monster, and after you've bought it and they won't take the money back, won't give you your money back, you find that at least four other people know that the horse was a monster and they didn't. none of them bothered to even mention it to you, even though they knew you were interested in buying it. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. And that's when it's um, contact your lawyer or contact and... um... Yeah, I mean, even then, you're not necessarily going to come out of it the right way. Mm. Um, And that's, so as I said, it's important when you're buying the horse to look at it in the sense of, you know, what would the get out of jail figure be if I had to sell the horse because it didn't work out for me? And it's a bit like, you know, I mean, buy a new car and it depreciates something like 30% when you drive it out (laughs) of the showroom. Yes. You know, horses, thank God, aren't always like that. But people do pay more money sometimes for a horse than they should. And, you know, then they're really, you know, plastic if something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then we've got to say, right, well, maybe we should uh, talk to you about selling a horse. Maybe that's the next interview, Carolyn. <laughs> yeah, you can always do that one. <laughs> I can tell you a lot of horror stories there <laughs> And certainly one of my reasons I'm saying about the vet check, sometimes people say, oh, I won't get the horse vetted. To me, as a vendor and as a purchaser, it's very a vet check gives you a sort of snapshot of what that horse is like on a certain day. The vet's going to check its eyes. They're going to check its heart. And I have known horses to run through a fence six months after they were purchased. And at that point, someone goes, oh, this horse is blind. But... And there was no vet check. So the vendor didn't have a thing that said that on the 31st of June, 30th of June, this little teddy was had vision in both eyes. And then six months later, the seller goes, little teddy is blind and I want my money back. But he may have gone blind because of some damage that he did in the intervening six months. Yes, yes, yeah. You know? So <laughs> yeah. having the vet check gives the protection for the vendor as well as the purchaser. Okay, okay, good. 
All right. Well, they're the 10 questions to ask before you purchase a horse. I think Carolyn's given us lots of information there. She's been really good. Probably information overload, but it is something that I'm a little bit passionate about. Yeah. yeah. And, and look, I think it might be one of those ones where you go, right, I'll have a look at this and get the 10 questions, but then maybe I should listen to it again and again because there was a lot of information in there, Carolyn. I think that was really good and quite in-depth information from someone. Great. Well, as I said, the major one is ask questions. Keep asking them. And like someone said to me once, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Yep. Yep. You know, just ask and ask and ask. Don't don't feel (laughs) overawed because of the person you're buying it from. Okay. Okay. That's Mm. good. All right. Thanks for talking to us today and hopefully we'll talk to you. Good to speak. Good to talk to you too. Okay. Hopefully we'll talk to you sometime again soon. Love to. Okay. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 